So, um, firstly, has anyone ever had a brilliant teacher? Um, do you know, either one of those, you know, they walk into the room and everyone's just waiting, like, what are they going to say? Because they're really exciting. Um, or maybe their lessons are really fun. Or maybe, you know, one of those teachers where they've just got that air and there's a bit of chaos going on and they walk in and suddenly there's silence. You know, you know, I had one of those. So before we went up, we moved up to Durham just a few years ago, um, I used to be a history teacher. And one day, it was the end of my first year, and it was like hot, and the corridors were narrow, and, and um, I sort of came into the history area, and there was this group of um, pupils. I'm not going to say what year they were, but, you know, they weren't that bothered about history. And anyway... Um, they were, you know, messing on a bit and making quite a bit of noise. And then suddenly, out of the history staff room came Mr. Rogers. And Mr. Rogers, like, he wasn't that tall. He had a beard. And just with, like, a few words, this rowdy bunch just became this sort of silent, orderly line. It was just awesome. And... Um, I don't know, actually, whether they were that much more eager to learn about history, but, but one thing I knew and I saw again was that nobody, nobody messed with Mr. Rogers. Um, and in today's reading, Mark is kicking off his account of Jesus by saying what he thinks is like the most important thing. He's telling us a slightly bizarre story because he wants us to know right at the start that Jesus had authority. His words and his actions carried weight that he should be listened to. But it wasn't because he was scary or he had a loud voice, though I was thinking he may well have had a beard. But Jesus had authority because of who he is. And so for the next few minutes, we're going to be exploring a little bit more about what it might mean um, for us that Jesus' words have authority. Let's have a closer look. If you want to have a look, um, it's on page 1002 in the Bible in front of you. So I want you to picture the scene. Jesus goes into the local synagogue. So, you know, small village church. And he's allowed to begin to, to read from the front. So he goes to the front and he begins teaching. And we read that the people are amazed, amazed, because what he said had authority. So the actual words that he says, they carry weight. There is truth. They have substance. There is a sense they are real. They are trustworthy. His words had power. And they were so different to the local teachers of the law because they would repeat stuff that they'd read. But what Jesus said struck home. And we don't even know what he talked about that day. Mark doesn't really think that we need to know that. What he does tell us is that Jesus was a great teacher and people really wanted to hear what he had to say. 
And I think, actually, if you chat to people, lots of people might say, oh, yeah, Jesus, he was a great teacher. He said good stuff. But our, our story here, it doesn't end with people saying, oh, he's a great teacher. Because all of a sudden, there's a disturbance in the synagogue. Mark tells us that there's this man, and he starts shouting at Jesus. And different translations of the original Greek, you know, they, they explain this a little bit differently. They use different words. And the message version helpfully tells us, Jesus was interrupted by a man he, who seemed to be deeply disturbed. So he wasn't in his right mind. And we might be able to picture this, the guy shouting out. Um, we may have seen something. We're like, what is going on there? We don't know. But Mark tells us that there's actually something bigger going on behind the scenes. And verse 23 in our translation says, There was a man who was possessed by an impure spirit. Now, different translations will, as I said, say this differently, but I'm just going to stick with the one that we've got. So two things I want to point out. Firstly, in this rather odd story. Firstly, the, the version we use, the NIV, it says the word possessed. And this is important because it is implying there is something else that is in control of the man's behavior. Because something in him that is stronger than he is. Because otherwise, let's face it, this is his local synagogue. He is not going to be in the synagogue shouting, is he? If he's in control of it, like just picture your local village church. Okay, his friends would literally have thought this guy's lost the plot. If he had control of it, he is not going to be doing it. This is not acceptable behavior. And in our culture, we don't see people shouting that much. Maybe if they've got, had too much to drink, you know, you see people shouting. But actually, control can be a lot more subtle. So there are things in our own culture that can have a very strong grip on someone, so much so that this thing becomes stronger than them. We might have seen this in people we know. We might have even have struggled, this, struggled ourselves. So I remember hearing a story of a mum, and she was explaining to her child why she hadn't been able to quit her drug addiction. And she said the addiction was stronger than her. She couldn't quit. But it actually doesn't have to be drugs or drink because people can develop habits, can't they, that become addictions. Pornography might be one, or even shopping. Something is controlling the behavior that is stronger than the person. Now, I really doubt that this man had a shopping addiction. We really had an impure spirit. And in our culture, we don't hear a lot of talk, do we, about supernatural spirits. We might see stuff on TV, we might see it in films, but a sort of belief in unseen spirits and ghosts is not really a part of our everyday life for most people in the Western world. However, if you go to different parts of the world, if you go to Asia, parts of Africa, South America, you'll often find a really accepted belief in the existence of a spirit world that is very real, that's good and bad. And, you know, it can be quite common to hear people talking about spirits or things that have happened they think spirits did. 
And actually, as we can see here, the Bible tells us that there is an unseen spirit world. And we believe, don't we, in the existence of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit. But there are other spirits, and Mark here is talking about an impure spirit, and some translations would say unclean. So this is my second thing. This impure, unclean bit is really important because much of the Jewish laws at the time were based around this idea things can be clean or they can be unclean. They can be pure, they can be impure. And people had to be clean before they came to God. So in really, really simple terms, the clean stuff is the stuff associated with God that is good, and the unclean stuff is everything that would cause harm that is not from God. So then Mark is telling us this man's behavior was being controlled by something that is not from God. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's a spirit that is against God. And Mark says this spirit causes the man to shout, which explains this really quite bizarre conversation. It is not something that we can explain easily. And And it's very possible you will find different preachers around the country in different churches are looking at different explanations of what might be going on here. And do you know, I was thinking we could actually spend ages, we could sit here saying, could it be this, what is going on? Firstly, we haven't got the time, you'll probably be relieved to know. But secondly, I think if we did that, we would miss what Mark is trying to tell us. Because it is what is said in that bizarre conversation that is significant, not how it happens. Because at that moment, whilst the congregation are amazed that this carpenter from Nazareth is a brilliant teacher, this impure spirit, unclean spirit, recognizes that not only is Jesus of Nazareth, good teacher. He is the Holy One of God, and he has the power to destroy them. Now, Jesus was not afraid. He was not phased by this incident because he had authority. He had power over the force that was controlling the man. This impure, unclean spirit that was seeking to bring harm. And Jesus used this authority, firstly, to tell the spirit to be silent, as he didn't want anyone to know at the time who he was, that he was God's holy one. That was a secret for later. And secondly, He used this authority to bring freedom to this man. Jesus' words had authority. They had power because of who he is. And because he is God's son, he had, he has authority over all those who were opposed to God. And because God is love, This means 
that the love of God has authority, it has power, and is stronger than all the powers of the enemies of God. The love of God is stronger than the power of the enemies of God. And over and over in the New Testament, we read that through his death, through his resurrection, Jesus triumphed over the power of the devil and all the forces opposed to God. And actually, one of the Church of England communion prayers says, Lord, by your cross and resurrection, you have set us free. You are the saviour of the world. And on that day, this became true for that man. What does this mean for us? Well, the congregation in that synagogue had an initial glimpse of a teaching that had authority and actions that backed up what Jesus said. In short, in the words of the famous Ron Seal Varnish advert, Jesus' teaching did what it said on the tin. Jesus delivered what he promised. And in life, isn't it hard to trust people who don't live up to what they promise? To some extent, we're all a bit like that, aren't we? We don't live up to our own expectations or others. There's a lot of forgiveness needed, including ourselves. But Jesus, he is who he says he is. He really is the Son of God. He really has come to show us what God is like, to explain to us, to show us what God's kingdom looks like, God's way of doing things. And he did the signs, he did the wonders, he died, he rose again to prove to us he is trustworthy. So imagine for a moment then that his words are true, that they have authority, that they come from God, just as we see in this passage. If this is the case, then what Jesus says matters because it is true and it overrides everything else. Let me tell you two stories of what this might mean to us. So that mum I mentioned, the one who said that her told her child the drug addiction was too strong for her. Well, later, after a brave journey, she was able to tell her daughter that she had found someone who was stronger than the addiction. His name? Jesus. And a personal one. Um, When I was a pupil in secondary school, I remember there was a time and there was like some tricky friendship stuff going on. And I remember really feeling that I was not lovable. And my mum was telling me, well, you know, we love you and God loves you. And it really didn't help. (laughs) True though it was. I thought they had to love me. So I was like, well, that doesn't really count. But I had missed the point. Because God doesn't have to love us. He loves us because he loves us. Because he can't help it. And there's a book called The Shack 
where God tells the main character, Mac, that he's especially fond of him. Well, it turns out he's especially fond of all of us. He loves each of us individually for who we are. And the fact that God loves us unconditionally and treasures us, treasures me for being me, is actually a solid rock of truth. It's something we can build our lives on. And experiencing the reality of that, of God loving me, it not just being words, it changed my life. And the fact that I am his child, that's my core identity. Because I'd been believing lies and it was crippling me. I couldn't be myself. And my mum's kind words, true as they were, they didn't have the authority And I, as I was preparing, I think that there are lots of us tonight, or some of us at least, who may be believing lies and living those lies, with those lies, and that Jesus wants to speak his truth. God wants to speak his truth and begin to free us from some of these lies that we've believed and replace those with truth. Truth that is spoken with authority because of who he is. Um, it might be that we're believing lies about ourselves, stuff we might have absorbed from the culture, might be social media, it might be unhelpful things that family and friends have said, and they've just stuck with us. Little things that trip us up. Maybe we have to be something better, we have to look a certain way to be valuable, to be lovable, whatever it is, make more money, be successful. But the truth is that God loves each of us unconditionally. And there's actually, there's nothing we can do actually that will make him love us more or make him love us less. And knowing this more for it to become a reality, it's part of the journey that we walk with God to becoming who he's created us to be. I doubt it will happen overnight. But tonight could be a significant step. So that's one thing. But the second type of lie is we might be believing stuff about God that isn't true. And I was wondering, some of us may be carrying hurt or doubt, wondering if God really is who he says he is. If he does have authority, is he really good? Or if he's good, does he really have authority? We might have seen stuff in the news or in our own lives and we think, God, if you're good, why haven't you acted? We also may not have had a good experience of authority and we're struggling to believe he's good. And, you know, this isn't a new thing, actually. Um, Psalm 62, end of Psalm 62, there's a bit and it says, Surely, God, you are good. Surely, God, you are powerful. Those truths hang together in God. And tonight, um, I think that God really wants to say to those of us who are struggling, 
what he said to Moses, he wants to say, in all of this, I am. I am the ultimate reality. I am your comforter. I am your healer. And being honest with this, being honest with where we're at, this is what opens the door to healing. 